heard of a man named Zig Ziglar. So I'd say probably 65, 70% of you have. Well, if you haven't, let me tell you who he is. Zig Ziglar was one of the most popular motivational speakers our world has ever known. He was born in 1926 in Alabama. His real name was Hillary Hinton Ziglar, but he became known as Zig Ziglar. Zig originated from his pet name in elementary school during the 1930s in Mississippi. He was the 10th of 12 children. I can't even fathom this, but he was the 10th of 12 children. Nine days after Zig Ziglar was born, though, he stopped breathing. Sadly, the doctor laid the lifeless body on the bed, and his grandmother held his body close and began whispering in his ear, and miraculously, he came back to life in her arms. It's amazing. No doubt there probably was a little bit of prayer involved there, too. In 1931, when Ziegler was five years old, his father took a management position at a Mississippi farm, and his family moved to Yazoo City, Mississippi, where he spent most of his early childhood. The next year, though, his father died of a stroke. Two days later, his youngest sister died too. So keep that in mind. He was raised the 10th out of 12 children by a widowed mother during the Great Depression. At seven, he was already helping to support his family by selling vegetables and milk, and his dream was to be a Navy pilot. But when he was 20, he fell in love and married a woman named Jean. In order to support his new family, he quit school, abandoned his dream, and sold pots and pans. Life as a salesman was unpredictable, especially coming out of the Great Depression. So for years, the couple struggled financially. Sometimes he could only afford a few gallons of gasoline. And so wherever his car rolled to a stop, he would get out and start door-to-door sales in that neighborhood. But here's what began to mold and shape the stories that he would tell the rest of his life. Zig maintained a positive attitude about everything. He made a promise to his wife about how good things were going to be. Refusing to accept defeat, he decided instead to spread his message of positivity. He began traveling to churches, schools, clubs, sharing lessons on the power of positive thinking. Every night he wrote down all the great things he would accomplish the next day. And when the company he worked for dissolved, he decided to sell the product he knew best. He sold his own energy and optimism. He turned to full-time motivational speaking, helping countless people achieve their dreams. When he, when he, he read a positive article in a paper, he would place it in a folder called Inspirational Stories. It was meant to be a book that, what, in his words, gives you a checkup from the neck up to eliminate stinking thinking. Anyone ever heard that from Zig Ziglar? All right, we lost the 70%, went down to 4%, but some of you have heard it. It was rejected by 30 different publishers. I wonder how many of us would have given up. Rejected by 30 publishers before finally being printed. It has now sold more than 2 million copies worldwide. One of the world's most trusted experts on motivation. He traveled more than 5 million miles in his 40-year career. He hosted seminars from all walks of life, advising Fortune 500 CEOs and U.S. presidents. Ziegler passed away in 2012, two days after celebrating his 66th wedding anniversary with Jean. 
His message of hope and inspiration lives on in his 30 books that have sold millions of copies. They've been translated into 36 languages and have impacted more than 250 million people around the world. Four of Zig's most famous quotes include, don't let negative and toxic people rent space in your head. Raise the rent and kick them out. But go on, we got four more after this, I think. It's not what happens to you that determines how far you will go in life. It is how you handle what happens to you. Next one. Success is one thing you can't pay for. You buy it on the installment plan and make payments every day. Next one. Some of you, if you're, I, I'm all into quotes. Some of you are probably frantically trying to write some of these down. If you need them, email me and we'll get them to you. Your attitude, not your aptitude will determine your altitude. And then he says, you've got to be before you can do and do before you can have. This morning, I want to preach on this topic. What do you think about your thoughts? What do you think about your thoughts? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. We've sang songs that have theological and doctrinal truths in them. We felt your presence today. We know you're still here. God, we've exalted your name, and we felt you respond to that. No doubt that you've touched hearts, minds, and lives already, God. But Jesus, we know you're not done. So please use your word and the principles of your word to really invest something into our spirits and our hearts and our minds that we could be different, Lord Jesus, that we could be exactly who and what you are calling us to be. In the powerful name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. Now, folks, today we did not gather today to do a motivational speech. We didn't learn, we didn't come together just to learn about Zig Ziglar. We're not just looking to be a better version of ourselves. Um, I certainly hope that when I preach from this pulpit, it's a lot more than just a motivational speech. Hopefully, you're motivated to do or be something, but hopefully, it's not all it is. But I open with this story because there's power in our thinking. By all measures and accounts, Zig Ziglar should have been a failure. Tenth of 12 children, father and sister die in a couple days of each other, raised during the Great Depression, company he works for gets sold. The odds were stacked against Zig Ziglar, but he refused to let circumstances dictate his future. And so I want to talk about this for a little bit, because how often do we as believers allow circumstances to dictate our future? Maybe we need to look at Zig's statements and View it through a spiritual application. Go back to that one. It's not what happens to you that determines how far you'll go in life. It's how you handle what happens to you. Or how about another famous man uh, who faced immense difficulty? How about this next guy? You've probably heard of Winston Churchill. He said, a pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. Let that sink in there. The power of our thinking is enormous. It can propel a person forward like it did Zig, but it can also leave a pers person trapped in a constant state of static or being stuck in one place, unable to ever get over one person, one situation, one series of blows that life has handled, handed you. 
I preach about this today because Zig Ziglar was not the wisest person to address the power of our thoughts. Zig Ziglar wasn't the first person to address the power of our thoughts. But as a Christian man, Zig no doubt drew many principles from the Bible because God was the first to address the power of our thoughts. Proverbs 23, 7, it says, the beginning portion says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what is in your heart is what is going to manifest itself in your speech, in your actions, and it will write your story. What's in your heart? Sin is a heart issue. Sin is not an external issue. I have an issue with this, 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 this person, that person. Sin is a heart issue. And so a person's thoughts will greatly impact his or her future. Your life is a tangible sum of all of your thinking. Poor thinking will cause people to squander their future. Poor thinking keeps a person from becoming what he or she is meant to become. And like we finished talking about a few weeks ago, poor thinking will be a roadblock to your purpose. So what do you think about your thoughts? The apostle Paul, he talked to the Corinthian church about casting down imaginations or taking control of your thoughts. To the Colossian church, he says, think about the things of heaven not the things of this earth. Because why? No matter who you are, how long you've walked with God, how long you've had the Spirit, when you were baptized, how many times a day you pray, how long you pray, you will always, like me, we will always have a battle. There's a battleground right here. Flesh, spirit. Heaven, hell. Worldly, godly. It's all, there, there's a battle that we have to take dominion over our thoughts. And Paul says this because he knew the damage that would cause if, if the church's thoughts were consumed with the world rather than the things of God. Hear me. Our thoughts cannot be consumed with worldly things, but then somehow just magically produce spiritual fruit. Our, our, our brain cannot be consumed with the things of this world, and somehow we just, whoa, wow, magic, I produce spiritual fruit. That's why Paul says to the Roman church in 12.2, Romans 12.2, he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How is he going to do that? By changing the way you think. This is why the Greek word for repentance, metaneo, is a change of thinking and about face. And so when you say, well, I repented of my sins... Well, that's not just saying, I'm sorry, or I came to a church, or yeah, I went ahead and jumped in the water. They told me I should do that. And so they said, I'm washing sins away, so that's what I did. My dad always said that if, if, if you jump in the water and get baptized without true repentance, all you've done is gone into the water a dry sinner and came out a wet one. That's it. But Matneo is a, is a change of thinking. It's, it's, it's my thought process needs to change. If I truly want to change something, I have to change the way I think. But you know, people say, oh, I can't teach, can't teach a dog new tricks. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, that's because it, it's, it's difficult at times to change our thinking. It's difficult at times, and so I'm challenging some people today because in this church setting, you're going to hear before this is over, 
we're all going to be challenged to change our thinking about certain avenues because different areas of our thinking can get polluted, can get, can get garbage inside of them. I'm not even talking just about, oh, that's sin. But just the way we interpret things, the way we think about things, transformation. Paul says you will learn then to know God's will for you. Transformation begins with the way you think. And to the Philippian church, Paul says this. He was obviously pretty passionate as he's building churches and he's planting churches. He, 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 almost every church that he plants, he addresses thinking. Because he knows not only is repentance with thinking, not only does salvation we begin with thinking, but the church continuing to grow and be healthy and foster a culture of growth, it would depend on the people's ability to think correctly. So to the Philippian church, he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, he goes on, he says, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So he's given guidance for thought process. Think on and dwell about things that are honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, and virtuous. So based on that, what do you think about your thoughts? These are just a few scriptures on things. The Bible is jam-packed. We could sit here and for the next 30 minutes just look at scriptures on thinking and thoughts and the way we think and the way we... It's filled with it because the creator of our minds knows the power of our mind. That's why way back at the, the, the Tower of Babel, nothing will be restrained from them what they have imagined to do. Because he knows that human thought, when we unite and we imagine things and our, and our thoughts are, are and why, do, why, why does Noah, why does he say, no, I'm going to destroy the earth? What does he say? He said, because humanity's thoughts have become only evil continually. So there's a thought process here. There's, he, you look back, and, and Eve didn't just all of a sudden just trip, grab a, and, and a, a fruit and eat it, and then, and then she tripped and gave it to him, and he tripped. and he, There was an intentional thought process that had to reason out. When the, when the serpent says, hath God said, there had to be a mind that began to process that question that said, hmm, yeah, I don't know. Is this really true? Are there really consequences to what God said? Will I really die if I take this? Hmm, is it worth the risk? And this still happens today. It's our thought process. We begin to process information. Sin, oh, sin, ram, and I'm scared of sin. Help me against sin. Sin will always begin here. Because before you sin, you will process the information in your brain and say, is this sin? Is it really a big deal? I know they talked about that. I know scripture says a pastor preached about that. But I just don't think this is a huge thing. Matter of fact, each of us have already had a brief interaction with someone this morning. Somebody here. Hopefully you all had wonderful interactions with each other. Chances are, though, somebody walked by you. They didn't smile right. They smiled from the right side of their mouth instead of the left side. They didn't say something. They didn't compliment your tie. Somebody made fun of your tie because you were wearing, like, a purple-blue tie, and you should have been wearing red and yellow. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking. 
Based on what transpired in that interaction, whether it was uh, social media, in person, via text, there has not just been communication taking place. This was, my, this was part of my major. I enjoy this stuff. I could talk about this stuff all day, but I need to be fast here. There's not just communication taking place. There is perceived communication taking place. So... There's what was said, what the other person thought was said, what was received, and what the person thought was received. Do you realize that when you walk up to say, hey man, how's it going? Good to see you. That you are trying to communicate, that person is receiving what they think you're saying, and then you look at them, and how are they responding to what, what do I think they thought I said? And, and there's, that's the way communication works. It's this, it's this flow back and forth. And communication itself, it is an art. One that I have not fully figured out, but I'm working on it. But our thoughts actually impact our thoughts. Impact the way communication is exchanged. Because if you think that you're having a conversation with someone who loves you, who is for you, your name is safe in their hands, that, that you're, you're, you're interacting with that person, you feel that, deem that person is safe, you're going to interact one way. Versus if my thoughts to you are, you're going to just take what I say and run with it. And I think you could twist it. And, and you might talk to someone else about what I said. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm guarded. I'm going to be very careful with the way I interact. I'm going to be very careful. I'm going to, you know what? If I send my wife a text, I don't reread the text before I send it. But there are a lot of people I do reread the text before I send it. Why? Well, sometimes that's for my own good. But that, other times that's because... Uh, my thoughts are saying, can I totally trust this person? Maybe, maybe this person will be offended. So I have to think of how I'm going to word this. So based on your interaction this morning, you can look at things like voice inflection. I mean, you could say the same thing. You could say, hey, what's, what's wrong with you today? Versus, what's wrong with you? Chances are the first one you're like, oh, I don't know, I'm just kind of struggling. The next one you're like, What's wrong with you? <laughs> we can look at eyes. Eyes are people are people looking at you, saying, "Hey, how you doing?" There's nothing that's more annoying. And maybe if I've done this, I'm sorry. Forgive me. But somebody comes up and goes, "How's it going?" And you're like, "Well, you know, I've been better." And you look up, and they're looking right past you. How's it going, man? Good. I'm like. Can I ask you a question? Why did you just ask me how's it going? Why did you just ask me how I'm doing when you don't care right now? Go walk to where you need to go because you don't care what I have to say. Being real, right? Let's all guard ourselves on that because we do it. When we look at eyes, the number of punctuations or capital letters, you know, like somebody says, what are you up to? And it's in all caps on text. You're like, why are they screaming? Some of us, we need to hand out like a book on, on, on social media and text exchange etiquette. Like if you said, you know, what time is dinner? You don't need to give me nine question marks behind what time is dinner. Like, honey, I'll be home. Ah. She doesn't do this. I'm just using an example. 
She really doesn't. And so, you, you know what I'm saying? You, you, don't, you don't have to do these things. And so there's words spoken, voice inflection, eyes, the number of punctuation. And you, just, you begin to process this information. And as you're conversing, and, and, you, and, and so text message, I don't have the, the luxury of seeing your eyes and hearing your voice inflection. I just see your capital letters, and I'm like, they're mad at me. And, you know, but we have to, we, we, we have an interaction. And today we're going to pray, and we're gonna, you're going to leave, and you're going to talk to people on the way out, hopefully. And just duck your head down and then run out because then we have our own interpretation of what you are, you know. No, I'm just kidding. So you're going to interact with somebody. You're going to converse with somebody. You're going to share information, say something. But then the person's going to begin to process. I'm going to begin to think and go, oh, what, did you, what did you mean by that? What do you, you know, so-and-so told me this today. Do you think they're offended? Are they mad? Do they like the message? Do they like the church? Did you? And you start to process information. That happens in marriage, too. We're having a love and respect small group at our house, and the topic of communication came up several times. Why? Because husbands will communicate, and they think it was clear. And then wives communicate, and they think it was clear. And sometimes the interpretation of the communicated message is totally different than what it was intended to be, right? So communication, and you begin to process this information. It starts your mind in the way we process things, but Scripture gives us a command. It didn't just limit one thing. It says, whatever you think about, think about is it. Honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, and virtuous. Now, we could, even, we could even put that in context of our communication with each other. So when I speak to you, I got to think about, hey, well, honest, virtuous, and, and, and I want to think about what's of good report. Why? Because if everything you say to me, I question, and what's your motive? That's going to severely impact the church. Paul understood that. I get concerned when the church can be held back from our purpose because of some of our ways of thinking. Do you realize that we, you literally could be held back from your purpose as a child of God because of the way you think? So what do you think about your thoughts? I've heard people say things, well, it's, it's hard to think right. If you only knew what I was going through, you would understand. Believe me, I know that there are some very real struggles in the world. Doctors have diagnoses. Spouses can leave and let us down. Jobs can be lost. Houses have issues. Finances aren't what we hope. Sometimes it feels like we're dealt one challenge after another challenge after another challenge. But do you know something? Circumstances don't make us. They simply reveal what's already there. Man, I would be a lot happier if my dishwasher didn't overflow last night. I'd be a lot happier if there wasn't a leak in my roof. I'd be a lot happier if so-and-so would stop talking about me. And You know what I'm saying? We can say these things, but circumstances don't make us. They reveal what's already in there. 
I can't directly choose our circumstances. If I could, if you could, I guarantee you, we would be making some changes. If God said, take the next 30 minutes and come up with a list of what you would like changed in your life, I don't think anybody would leave and go, ah, my list is blank. My life's perfect. I wouldn't change anything. We'd all have a handful of things to change. We'd probably be racing against the clock to fill up the paper. Kids, stop. Quiet. You know, we'd be, we'd be, be trying to make our list. So we can't always choose what happens to us, but we can always choose our thoughts. And that will shape our circumstance. And if you're unsure if you're a positive or negative person, then no doubt, I, after a message like this, I have people come up to me sometimes. And if you're sitting here going, well, yeah, I don't know, am I, am I positive? Am I negative? I try to be positive. I think I'm positive. And we, we go back and forth on these things. Here's a litmus test. First, ask someone, not right now because I might lose you then. You start asking somebody, they say something, you get up and storm out mad. Don't do it now. Ask someone close to you who you know will be honest. Don't just look for somebody that's going to tell you what you want to hear. It's not a true friend. Somebody that's going to be honest. Don't defend or explain yourself. Don't ask somebody to be honest with you and then they get honest. You're like, well, what are you talking about? I didn't do that. Like, don't ask if you're just, it's not, it's not who's guilty and not guilty. Like, if you want to know, just say, hey, I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to say anything. Just I want to ask you, am I, would you consider me a positive person, negative person? Just listen. And second... Look at what you attract. We, we do not attract what we want. That'd be nice. But here's the thing. Me and you, we do not attract what we want. We attract who we are. If people are always complaining to you, and they're regularly negative, and you hear yourself saying, well, so-and-so is talking to me. Well, I've just heard around the grapevine, and well, somebody else just said, you know, somebody said something to me, somebody mentioned something to me. And the other day I was talking, I don't know, they, they, they talked to me, and this person talked to me, and then that person, I, I guess you should be aware that they had a complaint. Stop and go, hmm. Why do I see them to be a magnet? Why do I seem to be attracting all these complaining, negative, frustrated people? Because I don't think that God's necessarily calling you to a specific ministry. <laughs> I think you might be attracting something that's in your spirit. So much of our friendships, marital satisfaction, finances, health, self-esteem, walk with God, ministry, and even our career are based on our thought process. One self-help author even said this. He said, being broke is a temporary state of affairs that afflicts almost every one of us at one time or another. Has anyone ever been broke before? It happens. I'm not going to ask, are you still broke now? Because then you'd be like, some people would be embarrassed and some would be like, yes, what do you want me to talk about? <laughs> but the author says, but being poor is an attitude. A set of beliefs that gets reinforced when we shift 
to blaming life's circumstances for the condition of our poverty. One of the biggest challenges for many born into poverty is refuse to accept it as part of your culture. Although environment certainly has a great impact, a person's thoughts have even more power. Like Zig Ziglar or Winston Churchill, a person can rise above adversity with great thinking. We see it throughout human history over and over and over and over again. The disciples lacked an accurate understanding of the kingdom as they walked with Jesus. While they were arguing and they were vying for position, who's the greatest? Their, their parents, their parents are asking who's the greatest. Okay, my son sit on your, my kids sit on your right hand. Like, there's a reason why this is handed down, okay? Vying for position, they were thinking of themselves, seeking self-preservation, Jesus was doing the exact opposite. They wanted to be great, and Jesus was looking for servants. You see, heavenly philosophies are almost, they're almost always contrary to what comes in natural humanity. That's why churches are not going to gather as much as, as, as college football games and professional games. It's not going to happen. Because why? There are certain things that we do that are enjoyable, entertainment, they feed the flesh. There's not really any... Any, uh, you know, self-commitment, consecration. I mean, you know, and so with church, you go into a, a message and you hear a message where God's calling us to pick up our cross, deny self, repent of our sins, admit that we need help. Yes, we're a sinner. That's not a message that people are like, I, I, I resonate with that. Unless your heart and mind are open. And so heavenly philosophies, they'll, they'll, contrary, they'll be contrary to ours a lot. While we typically focus on doing I got to do more. I got to, in our purpose, I said, don't just think your purpose is to be busy. I need to get, I need to be busier than where I am. I need to take on more ministries. I need to be more active. I need to do more poor and more fast and more of this, more of that, more of that, more of that, more of that. And that's always, you know, what, what people tend to do. But, but because, while we typically focus on doing, the Bible focuses on becoming. That's why the vision of this church has always been moving forward. It's been, it's been, are you closer to God this week than you were last week? You know, sometimes you can walk into a church, if you're a guest here, maybe it's your first time you look around, man, these people got this stuff together. I'm never going to be like them. I'm not going to worship like them. I'm not going to dress like them. I'm not going to act like them. I don't think I'm going to be like them. I might as well just give up. That's the devil. That is the enemy. That is the flesh in your thinking messing you up because everybody has a story. And the, and the, the goal here is, even if it's a crawl, I just, I'm just going just to keep moving forward. Wow, man, you didn't, you haven't moved forward much in the last couple weeks. That's right, but I have moved forward. I didn't quit. I didn't go back. I didn't give up. I'm still going. And that's part of what it is, is when you're serving God is, is I'm just going to keep moving. I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep, see, a person's behavior is, is what a person does, not who a person is. But it reveals that person. Words and behaviors are outward manifestations of inward things. And I know this is very much more a Principles for Life Wednesday night message, but it's what God told me to speak this morning. 
Internal things begin to make their way out. Same with anger issues and violence. There are behaviors that might be dealt with. People start cussing and swearing off the, and, 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 and using words and profanity. That's not something that just came by accident. That's, those, are, those are outward manifestations of things that are being caged on the inside. Same with substance abuse issues. Dive deep. Look inside. The issue is never the issue. There's always an issue behind the issue. Scripture tells us we will know people by the fruit they bear. Some will call that being judgmental, but actions and words will actually reveal what is inside of a person. But God's looking for a church that will recognize it, identify it, and not judge because of it, but be aware of it as they love them through their trial or their circumstance. So... Why would I spend an entire message on a Sunday morning on thinking? Because Jesus was constantly addressing the disciples' thinking and their philosophies, especially regarding his kingdom. He repeatedly said, the kingdom is likened unto, the kingdom is likened unto, the kingdom is likened unto. Why would he do that? He was trying to paint a picture of what was the kingdom was about. He was trying to get them to change their thinking. I'm getting ready. I've called you. I'm discipling you. I'm mentoring you. I'm spending time with you. I'm investing in you. I'm going to give this to you. Greater things than me are you going to do? But before we get to that place, hang on. I got to go talk to James and John because they're arguing over being the right hand of God. The kingdom is likened unto, oh, hang on one second. We got somebody over here lying or trying to make up things. We got this person trying to do the, the kingdom is likened unto. He was trying to work to get to be, you got to change your thinking. And Jesus, he looks at his disciples, and Peter rebukes him. We just read this last week, but I'm going to read it again. Matthew 16, 21, it says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, It's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem, going to suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, teachers of religious law. He says, basically, I'm going to be killed. The third day, though, I'm going to walk out of that grave, like we sang about. But Peter took him aside. Like I said last week, I love this Peter, man. He's trying to correct. I've got to talk to you. I just got to correct something you're saying. This is never going to happen to you. Heaven forbid, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. Jesus turns to Peter and says, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Jesus rebukes and corrects Peter because why? Because Peter's thinking was way off. His thinking was only about earth and earthly things. It was not about spiritual things. He was just my comfort. We left everything. We want to follow you. You're a master. I thought we were going to set up a, a, you know, a, a kingdom. I mean, what's going on here? And so Peter, he looks at me. He says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. He wanted Jesus to stick around for earthly benefit, but Peter was missing the heavenly. So Jesus rebukes him, and he knew that Peter could never be what he needed to be unless he changed his thinking. And neither can we. Folks, as I wrap this up, I really feel strongly from God because this is a biblically life principle here. 
one that, again, I don't think I, and I knew I probably wasn't going to sweat today and shout and pull out a hanky. But one, these are the messages where if you can get it, it's not cliche. It will change the rest of your life. Because we, Matt Nail, that's repentance. I've done that. He's preaching, man, he's going after guests. He's going after people that have never repented. He's going to, absolutely, it works for that. If you're here and you have never changed your mind about your direction, because you know what repentance does? It's a change of direction, change of mindset. But you don't repent. Do you see what just happened there? It's that military about face. You don't, your, your location does not change. I'm in the exact same spot. Do you see what changed? Direction. So are you going to just, oh man, everything you ever struggle with, tomorrow morning, it will be gone. You come up out of that water filled with the Spirit, it will be gone. You will never struggle again. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I still struggle. We, I mean, it's, it's this flesh. We, we're, we never escape this flesh, right? That's why I don't like to say, well, the date I got saved, uh, the date I got saved is when I'm standing in the presence of the Lord. And he says, well done, the good and faithful servant. Till then, I can make a lot of stupid decisions that I don't want to do. So I'm going to stay on my knees and keep seeking God. But if you have never changed your direction and said, you know what? Those things might try and follow me home. But I'm walking away from them. I'm going a new way. I'm going to try and go on this journey with Jesus. I'm going to go deeper than I've ever gone before. I want to know God more than I've ever known God before. And it might just be little baby steps along the way. And that's where, you know what, if we're a, if we're a true body of Christ, we come alongside of somebody. And they say, yeah, but I fell again. You say, that's all right. I'm, I'm not here to, to beat you into the ground. I'm here to help you back up. Dust you off. I'm walking with you. Come on, let's go. Let's keep going. Let's keep doing this. That is what God has called us to be. So if you're here and you've never repented, absolutely, messages for you. Water's warm, it's clean, there's clothes to change in. We can baptize you in Jesus' name. Your sins can be washed away, and your whole new journey can start today. But now for the people that say, okay, cool, I've already done that. I want to talk to you for a minute as we wrap up this message. I have been talking, my wife and I were talking, I feel God's really impressing on both of our hearts here, that this is one major thing. It's a cataclysmic thing. It is a gigantic thing. That is in our church right now that is trying to make rear its ugly head and keep us from what God wants us to do in 2020. And that is the enemy is attacking your thinking. What does that look like? Well, I'll give you some examples. God starts calling someone into ministry to step out into new areas and the thinking is not, I'm going to leave. The Israelites struggle with this over and over, and that's why they wandered. It is not, I'm going to trust God. God laid this on my heart. God spoke this. I'm going to step out. I don't care if there's a sea in front of me, a Jordan River, the, the walls of Jericho. It doesn't matter. If God called me, I'm going to do it. But instead, our thinking says, you're too busy. You don't have time for that. You know what? You, you struggle with this. Just last week, you were doing this. Think about the way you talked. Your marriage isn't even good. You know, you don't even know how long you've been in church. And so the thinking starts to say, I'm not capable of doing this, and so I'm not suited to do this. So my thoughts say, I'm not worthy. I need to step back. 
the thoughts are when you come into the church and leadership, somebody says something, does something that you disagree with, or you think, you know what, the motives start to question. And when someone makes a mistake, here's the, here's the part that stinks about the body of Christ. It's made up of people just like me and you. Guess what that means? There's no church in humanity that's perfect. If it's 10 people, 10,000 people, there is no church in humanity that is perfect. Systems fall down. Structure falls apart once in a while. Humanity, people have a bad day. Leadership didn't eat the night before because they were, you know, had a sore throat. It, it's just whatever. Life happens. And then somebody says something that rubs you the wrong way or offends you or gets angry. And the thoughts start to say. I just don't even know why I'm doing this. Why am, I, why am I even trying to be a part? Why am I going to this church? Matter of fact, I should go to a different church because I don't even feel like I'm appreciated here. People don't notice me, my age group, my walk of life, the struggles that I'm having. And so the enemy will attack your thoughts. I'm not trying to bash you because we all struggle with this, but you say, well, I don't have a place. I don't, I don't have a purpose. And, and I don't think I'll have one there because I'm not appreciated. Because, you know, so and so and so, you know what they said? You know, the way they talk to me. And we can start to say these things. And we could say, I would, they would be better off without me. I don't think they would even notice if I'm gone. And so our thoughts start running rampant. Some struggle with substance abuse issues. It's not that big of a deal. At least I'm not doing this. At least I'm not doing that. This is better than this. And so I should just do this because I'm actually a better person when I do this. If I take that or I take this or I watch this or I do this, I'm a better person. And so we can justify what we're doing. And you know what? I feel like God's calling me to step out and be trust him to be my provider this year. I feel like God's really working on me to, to donate to the campaign or be a tither this year. I've never done that faithfully, and I feel like it might be the time. But my mind says, oh, I looked at the budget, and the numbers don't add up. I'm going to have to try and trust him some other month because this month is not the month. It's, never, it's not going to get easier to trust God. At some point, you just say in your mind, this don't make sense, well, I'm going to step out, and I'm going to trust him, because I know he's the only one who can provide for me, and so you begin to trust him, and he says, when you trust me, I'll open up the windows of heaven, I'll pour out a blessing, you can't even contain it, he's a challenge, there's a challenge to trust him, and so spiritual gifts, same thing. Oh, man, I feel like God's just, like, there's word of wisdom, word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, miracles, faith, healing. Just God's been working with me on this stuff. But what happens if I go pray for someone and they don't get healed? What happens? I don't, oh, I don't know about that. And so our mind starts to run off. And I'm trying to point out that your mind, when you align it with God, is when you are going to walk and do and be the greatest version of you that you will ever be. This is not self-help, Zig Ziglar stuff. Be the greatest version of you that you can be. Think positive. It's a lot more than that. It's based on scripture. It's based on God saying, 
trust me, prove me, let me walk with you, watch what I can do. And when our mind says, oh, this doesn't make sense, I have a past, I struggle, I don't have finance, I don't have a lot of experience, I really don't have a lot of, uh, to offer, uh, and you can begin to reason away all of these things, but when your mind says, I'm going to walk in the light that God has called me to, I'm about to be who God has called me to be. But along the way, even when you make that decision, there's going to be battles against your way of thinking. It's the minute that you involve, oh, you know what, Tom, I'm going to talk to Brother Chad today. I got a burden for youth ministry. Also, Brother Chad, he starts talking about the 49ers. You hate the 49ers. You want the Chiefs to win. So I'm offended. I don't want nothing to do with Brother Chad. I don't want, you know, whatever it is, I use a funny example. But, but. The minute that you think, I'm going I'm to make a difference, I'm gonna, that's where something will happen where your thoughts start to say, oh, I just, I just I don't even think he appreciates me. I don't think they really need anybody there. There is always going to be a battle for your thoughts. And right now, as I speak, I'm not talking hypothetically, there are, there are people, you, some of you here today, that you are not walking in what God wants you to walk because your thoughts are not what God wants them to be. Whatever that is, sin, offense, whatever that is, there are things going on right now that, and you know what? Before there was the greatest outpouring of the Spirit, what do we read about? Oh, they, were, they got together in an upper room, but what does Scripture make it a point to say? One mind and one accord. Isn't it interesting that before there was a mighty outpouring of the Spirit, he addresses the mind. They were in one mind. Oh, today I'm trying to focus. I'm trying to give ministry and focus in ministry. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to be faithful church. I'm trying to. But what about your thoughts? Who are you? What is God calling to be? What, what is attacking your brain right now? What, what types of thoughts are you giving heed to right now that are not pure, that are not holy, that are not lovely, that are not of good report, that are, that are actually we're allowing things in that are contrary to what he's saying in his word? Because that, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how many times you come to an altar, how many times you give in a, in a tithing envelope, how many ministries you serve in. If your thoughts are not right, you are not living the overcoming life that he has called you to live and so I just feel in the Holy Ghost right now to have you stand to your feet listen this is not just oh yeah let's just come fun if you are here and you are willing and I'm telling you God wants to do something supernatural right now he wants to do it because this is a make or break moment not only for your life but for this church uh, nobody's going to talk about what it is nobody needs to know any details but I'm telling you I don't normally do an altar call this way this way. But if you are here and you are saying, I have had an issue. My thoughts have been under attack. I, I just feel like I'm constantly bombarded. I feel like whatever that is, it can be a million things. Nobody needs to know. But if that's you, why are you waiting another minute? Get to this altar right now. I believe that I, I'm going to lay hands in you and I believe God's going to do something here today. I believe that he's going to break something that needs to be broken today. Just come to this front right now and lift both your hands in the air. 
air. That's a form of surrender. Lift your hands in the air and say, God, I need you to break something that's in my thoughts right now. God, my thoughts have been bombarded right now. What do you think about your thinking? Oh, right now, Jesus, I've been thinking a lot and I don't want my thoughts here, God. I need you to break something. I need you to set me free. Hey, somebody right now, look around. There's a lot of hands up. There's a lot of hands up for some people that got a lot of boldness, a lot of faith that are saying, I walked up to this altar today with faith believing. I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to walk up and I'm going to raise my hands in the air because I need God in this moment to change the way I think. I've been getting bombarded and it's keeping me from being who I want to be. It's keeping me from being who God wants me to be. It's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my schooling. It's affecting my my, my, my walk from with God and the consecration that I have. I keep falling. I don't feel worthy. And so then that in turn, it's just, it's a bad cycle in my brain. And I start thinking, I believe that right now God wants to do something supernatural. He wants to break the chain of poor thinking. It's more than a motivational speech. It's an absolute power of the Spirit of God that rearra- rearranges and resurrects something that's been dead and in a tomb. He wants to set us free. He wants us to walk in his plan and purpose. But it starts with thinking right. It starts with knowing who you are, the power that you have. Oh, come on, somebody. If you're, if you're not struggling with this, you got to find somebody that's got both hands in the air and begin to pray with them. Pray with authority, with dominion. Just lay their hands if it's appropriate. You can put a hand on a head and say, in the name of Jesus. Uh, you might not even know what they're struggling with, but you can say, I take authority in the name of Jesus. I pray over this person's mind. I pray, God, that there'd be deliverance and healing and that there'd be peace in his mind and in her mind. so lost and even faints for you my heart and my flesh cries out for the living God for the living God incline your ear with trembling and tears of yearning To the throne of grace, to seek your face, I'm burning, longing for. 